week three of this series that we've simply called the parables. And what we're doing is we're just moving through a handful of the parables that we find in the Bible. And uh, the reason that we're doing that is because these par- these parables that Jesus speaks, these stories, these these simple stories that illustrate a complex reality, these, these things that Jesus grabs onto to illustrate what's going on in the kingdom, we're doing that because if we're Christians, we are people of the kingdom, we should care about what the kingdom is like, what the king is like, and how we ought to live inside of that kingdom. And so the first week we looked at what's the purpose of parables, and the second week we looked at the parable of the sower, and this week we'll jump into a different parable. But before we get there, uh, in 2012, I led like, 60 to 70 eighth graders to new orleans for a mission trip and if you're like that's a lot of eighth graders it was a lot of eighth graders um new orleans was affected by hurricane katrina quite some time ago at this point but uh really the damage of that hurricane hasn't left new orleans and so we went there and we were doing some ministry in uh this area that they call tent city and uh it's, it's described as tent city because you show up and there are tents and people that live in those tents as far as you can see underneath a freeway. It is a kind of a, a village for uh, homeless people in New Orleans. And me and uh, 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 some of my leaders and some of those students show up to serve those folks and really just catch a name and, and hear their story and love on them in Jesus' name. Uh, they go and, and they spend some time there and my wife actually gets to interact with this woman. Her name is Deborah, and uh, Deborah is a resident of Tent, of Tent City. She lost her home in Katrina, and then she got to she got transferred to a FEMA trailer. And that FEMA trailer caught on fire, burned down, and she ended up living in a tent underneath the highway. So she's living in this tent, and as you can imagine, that's that's hard enough as it is. But along the journey, at some point, someone came by and slashed her tent and just destroyed it. All that she had that was considered her home is now gone. And she's left, she's sharing the story with my wife and she's left to change clothes and everything that she needs to do just kind of out in the open in front of all these people. And so you can imagine how much dignity she just felt like she lost. You can imagine that she really didn't feel like she had any dignity or any privacy or any kind of self-value in that scenario. Well, she decided she was going to save up some money to get another tent, right? That's a great idea. That's, that's, that's smart. So she started saving up as much money as she could to buy another tent. But like I said, there's many, 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 many hundreds of residents here at Tent City. There happened to be this lady that uh, slept next to Deborah. So you can consider this lady a neighbor of Deborah. And this lady's health was declining rapidly. It was really bad. I don't know how much you know about medicine and I don't know a whole lot about medicine, but here's what I do know that if you're in bad health, uh, not just like you have a cold, but like in just like all kinds of stuff, like stuff that is affecting your body physically, it's really good that you take a shower or in that scenario, there's not just showers chilling out under the freeway. I don't know if you knew that. And so the only way to take a shower is to, to, to be able to pay for a bus ticket to get on the bus, to get to the shelter that will offer you a free shower and a hot meal. And this lady's health is declining and declining and declining and declining. And she's in desperate need just to go take a shower, which sounds ridiculous to us. But she just needs a shower. And Deborah starts to get to know this lady, all the while saving up her money to buy a tent. And begins to hear this lady's story and begins to hear the scenario that this lady's in. And Deborah decides to take the money that she saved for a tent and hand it to this lady. And say, why don't you go buy that bus ticket and take a shower? 
And as she's telling my wife his story, the obvious question came from my wife to her. Why would you do that? She said, because I just need a tent. She needs a, she needs a shower. Like she's, in a, she's got more need than I've, I've got right now. And as I think about that story, I think about this. Deborah will forever be a lesson to me of what it's like to be a good neighbor. That Deborah understood that being a good neighbor means seeing and showing compassion to people. And being a good neighbor means being willing to sacrifice whatever it might cost for the sake of another. And she got that. And we'll learn about that as we look at the text tonight. So Matthew, excuse me, Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. I'll read through verse 36. It says, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered correctly, do this and you will live. But he, desire, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite. When he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. Then he sat and he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So as we look at this parable, this parable that is famously referred to as the parable of the Good Samaritan, we want to identify a couple of things. At first, we want to identify this question, uh, the question that's asked by this lawyer. It's it's identified as a lawyer, but here's don't don't think lawyer like you think today. Think uh, lawyer like he's an expert on the Mosaic law. He's an expert on the Old Testament law. Like if anybody got what this means and what it says, it was this guy. And so it's interesting that he comes up to Jesus and he says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus turns the question around. He says, well, you tell me, what does it say in the law? You're the expert, homie. Why don't you tell me? And so Jesus flips it on this guy. And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is like, you got it. Do that and you'll live. He quotes Deuteronomy 6, 5, and he quotes Leviticus, and he nails it. And Jesus is like, you've got it, man. You, you do that, and you will live. That is what it means to love God and have eternal life. But it says in verse 29, but he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, here's, here's, what, here's what we mean. He was desiring to justify himself. Really, he was doing what you and I often do. You may never do this, but I, I've done this before, right? You say things like this. I didn't technically lie. I just like left out the truth. It's not a lie, right? I didn't actually speak a lie. I just left out the truth, right? All right, yeah. I, I, didn't, I didn't have my phone 
at Collide. It wasn't on me. It was in my bag. Cool. Right. And we, we seek to justify ourselves. We seek to see like, oh, we're actually being better than we are. We seek to justify our behavior. So this guy, he, he actually speaks to Jesus. You love God and you love your neighbor. And Jesus is like, got it. You nailed it. And he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah but who's my neighbor? He's actually trying to narrow the playing field. He's like, but isn't my neighbor like only the people that are next to me? Really, isn't my neighbor only the people that look like me? Really, isn't my neighbor only the people that are like God-fearing people? Right, Jesus? Like, that's what you're talking about, right? I only have to love a few people to nail this. And Jesus, he responds with this parable. He doesn't say, no, you fool. He tells a story. This parable that we're going to pull apart and see what it is that Jesus is saying. And so just like last time when we looked at the parable of the sower, we're going to ask two questions. What do we see and what does it say about the kingdom? What do we see and what does it say about the kingdom? Look at verse 30. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed him, departed, leaving him half Dead. Okay, so it's a bad scenario. Scene number one, not going well. This guy was traveling on a short road, but a sketchy road, and he gets torn up. Robbers, it says he fell among robbers, not like from the sky, but it's like there were robbers, and they came, beat him, took all his stuff, and now he's naked and laying in the road. If you think, that's a pretty bad scenario, you'd be right. It's a bad scenario. So that is what we're looking at at this point, and here's what happens. Look at verse 31. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So the first person we come to that has noticed this naked, beaten dude on the road is this priest. So everybody here in the story, everybody here in the story would be like, oh, it's the priest. That guy's going to help. He's a priest, of course. It would be like you here in the story and, and, he, and, and saying like, oh, and then a pastor was walking by. And you're like, oh, well, good news. The pastor's going to help them. But you see what it says. When he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. This guy that everybody thought, if anybody's going to help, it's going to be the priest. This religious elite, the guy who studies and teaches the scriptures, the the guy who helps people for a living. Sees the beaten guy and is like, gross, man. I got to get to a Bible study, dude. And he keeps going. Passes by on the other side. Verse 32. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now a Levite has come up. And so it's not, not as elite in the religious world as a priest, but pretty, it's like the assistant to the priest. He's still a pretty big deal. The tribe of Levi, it's like the chosen priestly tribe of the people of God. So the Jewish people are hearing that and they're like, okay, well, I mean, the priest didn't help, but certainly this Levi, he'll help. Like he's, this guy, certainly he'll help. But you see, he's walking along the road, sees the guy and it says he passes by on the other side. And you, you a lot like me, Probably when you read this, think like the road that you live on. Like, like you're walking down your sidewalk and on the other side of the street, on the other sidewalk, there's like a naked beaten guy. And you're like, whoa, dude, what's going on there? It wasn't, it wasn't even quite that far. It was more like this. Come here real quick. Lay on the ground. The other way, this way. 
You got it. Okay, Josh is now our naked, beaten guy. All right? I'm the priest. I'm the Levite. This would be the scenario in that moment. They're walking from Jerusalem to Jericho, Jericho to Jerusalem, traveling. And they're on the road. And they would have seen the guy who'd gotten beaten, stripped naked, and left for dead. And it would have been like this. And keep going. You can get up and sit down. It would have been, it would have been not, not just, oh, that guy's over there and I can just avoid him. They would have had to step over him. They would have had to physically step over this naked, beaten, left for dead human in the road. Now, we're not talking I-45. We're talking a dirt path in the wilderness. And so it wasn't easy to avoid it. It, it wasn't one of those moments where they could say, well, I just didn't see him. Hey, bro, you stepped over him. You saw him. But then Jesus, there's one more person that Jesus mentions. Look at verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. You see, we don't react quite like the the first century audience would have reacted. But when Jesus said those words, but a Samaritan... All those Jewish folks would have been like, not a Samaritan. These Samaritan people, they're the the perpetually unclean. They're the half-breed race people that we avoid. Who wants to be like a Samaritan? Samaritans were an insult to a Jewish person. They were, they were people like if you were, if you were like trying to like speak an insult to one of your friends or to one of the people that you live amongst, you'd call them a Samaritan. It would be essentially saying, like, you're garbage. You're just trash. It would have been the insult of insults in the Jewish community. And so for Jesus to speak to this expert of the Mosaic law, this, this Jewish man, and say, but a Samaritan saw the guy. And he had compassion. That would have been really confusing for them. Really, really confusing for them. So that's what we see, but what, what, is it, what does it say about the kingdom? Let's keep, let's keep going. Look at verse 34. He, that's the Samaritan, went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Do you see what Jesus does at the end? He flips the question on the guy. The guy asked, who is my neighbor? Jesus asks, who do you think proved to be a better neighbor? You see, the focus is no longer, who do I need to select as my neighbor? Jesus has flipped the focus to say, are you being a good neighbor? And so what, what the question that is, that is being, the question that's being answered by Jesus here and the thing that we need to find out about what it's like in the kingdom is how do we be a good neighbor? How do we be a good neighbor? And what does that mean? What does that look like? Look, at, look back at verse 33. 
But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, the guy that was beaten, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. The first thing that you need in order to be a good neighbor, the first thing that you need is you need to have compassion. You need to have compassion. This just deep, soul-level, just can't keep going unless I do something about this. I am being pressed by the spirit of God. I have compassion. It's, it's a little like pity, but it's more loving than that. We need compassion in order to be good neighbors. And really, really in order to have compassion, it comes from something else. You can't just stir up compassion. Compassion's given to you by something and it's given to you by belief in the gospel. You see, we don't become compassionate people just on our own. We become compassionate people because we have received compassion from Jesus. Check this out in 1 John 4, 19. We love because, why? Because he first loved us. The only reason we have the ability to extend love is because we have received love from Jesus in his death and in his resurrection. Therefore, the only way that we are able to extend compassion is because we have received compassion from Jesus. Jesus looked on us beaten, naked, and left for dead, and he stopped and got in our mess. That's the gospel. That Jesus knelt down in our mess and bound up our wounds and paid our debt and carried us into his family. On his shoulders, not on anything we brought to the table. Do you think the guy that was on the ground naked did anything for that guy? He's like, hey man, really, I can pay, I can pay Deuteronary for this and it's okay. No. And the same is true for us in our situation. In, In our sinfulness, we have nothing that we bring to the table. Jesus pays for all of it. And we get the benefit. That's the gospel. And so we need compassion. In order to be good neighbors. And and we get compassion from the gospel. And that compassion leads to action. Look at verse 34. So the guy sees him and he has compassion in verse 34. So he went to him and bound up his wounds. Pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal. And brought him to an inn and took care of him. He doesn't just say like. Man I feel really bad for you. That really stinks that they beat you up and took your clothes bro. Have a good day. He acts. He doesn't just have compassion. He acts on that compassion. His compassion leads him to love the guy. And he moves toward him. And he takes care of him. Just like Jesus did with us. Just like Jesus did with us. So to be a good neighbor, we need compassion. We need compassion. The second thing, look at verse 34, he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave him to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. The second thing that we need in order to be good neighbors is we need to know, we need to be willing to sacrifice. In order to be good neighbors, we need to be willing to sacrifice. All kinds of things. Along the way. So if we're asking what is it that we need to be able to sacrifice in order to be good neighbors. What does the Samaritan sacrifice? Well the first thing that he sacrifices is social and racial boundaries. Just like you will have to sacrifice social and racial boundaries in order to be good neighbors to the people around you. 
You see, Samaritans had no dealings with Jewish people. We see that in John chapter 4 with Jesus and the woman at the well. John 4, 9 says this. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink of water from me, a woman of Samaria? For, or because, Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. They didn't interact. It was two races, two ethnicities that just didn't interact with one another. And so this guy throws that out the door in order to be a good neighbor and love this guy. He says, I don't care. If you don't interact with me, it doesn't really matter. You have a need and I can meet it and I'm gonna. And so for some of you, you need to blow up your social circle in order to care for the people at your schools and in your neighborhoods and on your teams that are in need. But you're blind to it because you won't open your social circle. You refuse. You refuse to care for people that don't look like you, act like you, dress like you, talk like you. And you're missing people. They're in desperate need around you. And you could be a good neighbor, but it's just gonna it's gonna it's gonna require us to be willing to sacrifice some things. Our social and our racial boundaries. This is the this is the kid that sits by himself that no one sits with. This is this is you know what this looks like? This looks like acting or standing up for the kid that gets made fun of, not joining in with them. If you're the person that says, oh, I'll just join in. Or if you're the person that says, you know what? I'm just not going to do anything. You're no different. Compassion leads to action. What else should we be willing to sacrifice? We need to be willing to sacrifice our pride, our selfishness, our convenience. I'm sure this guy had somewhere to be. I mean, he's on a road that leads like it's a trade route. He's got places to go. I'm not saying he was on a tight schedule, but it's like he had somewhere to be. He had to do something, but he sees this guy and he just he just gets rid of that. He sets aside his pride. He sets aside his selfishness. He could have said, you know what? Nobody, nobody cares for me. Nobody looks to me. I'm a Samaritan and nobody gives a rip. I'm just going to keep walking, but he doesn't. He stops. You think it was inconvenient? Probably. You think it was inconvenient for Deborah to give up that money she was going to have a tent, going to buy a tent for with? Probably. It would have been really nice to have a tent. It would have been really nice to, to change inside of a place that nobody else can see. But she gave up her convenience to be a good neighbor. The second, uh, third thing that we should be willing to sacrifice is our time and our schedule. This is probably really like in our face as suburban people. We could not be busier. Even in, as teenagers, you become busy. Like as teenagers, you're managing an iCal. I'm like, that's ridiculous. Like this, this is nuts. Like, well, I have this and I have, I have this private lesson. and I have this tutoring session and I have this SAT prep and I have this college application. and I have this blah, blah, blah. I'm like, dude, you just should sit more. And, and you, what, what's crazy is we wear busyness like a badge of honor. Like, man, I'm so busy. Just, I'm just busy doing stuff. And in our busyness, we miss so many opportunities to be good neighbors to people. One of the the top thieves of showing compassion in the suburbs is busyness. If sticking to your schedule is more important than loving your neighbor, your priorities might be off. Let's be people who are willing to blow up our schedule for the sake of loving somebody else. I'm not saying never hold a schedule. I'm not saying never have a plan. I'm saying be willing, make a plan and be willing to say, okay, God, 
I have a plan, but I'm really aware that you're going to put people in front of me today that I should be willing to just blow this plan up for. Let's be those people who sacrifice our time and our schedule. And the last thing, look at verse 35. And the next day he took out two denarii, that's money, it's like two days wage, and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him, whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So he pays two days wage and he also says, hey, start a running tab and I'll pay you in full when I get back from where I was actually going. So what is he willing to sacrifice in that moment? He's willing to sacrifice his resource and his money. And that's typically what we think of when we think of loving our neighbors. Like, oh, there's a homeless guy. Let me toss him a dollar. Did it. I'm such a good Christian. I'm not saying it's bad. Do that. If that's the extent of you loving your neighbor, you should widen. You should widen your area of what it means to love your neighbor. Because it will cost you. And we should be willing to, we should be willing to, to give people money. And, and a lot of us think like, yeah, but they're just going to buy drugs. Or they're just going to blah, 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 this and blah, 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 that. So, some of that may be true. They'll have to answer to God for that. I'm not saying be irresponsible, but I'm saying be open. And maybe you're in here and you're like, hey, dude, I'm 14. I don't have any money. Like the 20s that I have are really my mom's. I get that. I, I understand. But here's the deal. You've got, you've got other stuff. It's not money. It's not just money, right? What do you have in excess that somebody doesn't have at all? Some of you have more shoes than days in a month. You're laughing and you know who you are. And there are some people here in our community, you, you wouldn't believe it. I'm telling you, I'm telling you. There are some people in our community that live on one pair of shoes, one pair of shoes a year. You're like, for real? But what do you have in excess that other people don't have at all or are in need of? You've got clothes. You've got resources. I, I, there's all kinds of things that you could cough up. You could, go, you could go to Salvation Army. You could go to CCISD and say, I have an abundance of this stuff. You can have it. Donate to the people that need it because it's just sitting in my closet with the tags on it. I want to love somebody who needs it. Like, no, but that's my J's, bro. I don't care. Give them some different shoes. So. Be willing to hold it like this. Because here's the, here's, the, here's the truth. Nothing that you have belongs to you. You think it belongs to you. It doesn't. Everything you own is God's. So we ought to be people who in gratitude say, God, I'm grateful for this stuff. I'm grateful. But it's not mine. And so whatever you want to do with it, you do with it. If I give me eyes to see people who have needs that I can meet, God. Because maybe, maybe, just maybe, there are people around you that are in need and you're just not seeing it. You think, but I live in League City. You wouldn't believe the stats. You wouldn't believe the stats of people that are on trying to get lunches paid for, of people that go without lunch, of people that are that are actually homeless in League City. They go to your schools. There is needs around you. 
We just need to have eyes to see it. We need to be people who, who respond to the gospel, who say, who say, Jesus is the one who had compassion on me. Who am I not to have compassion on other people? And Jesus teaches us what it's like to be a good neighbor. And a good neighbor is one who shows compassion and is willing to sacrifice. And listen, we're not going to get this perfect. I don't get this perfect. I'm not saying this stuff just to beat you and make you feel guilty. That's not it. I'm saying this to you to make us aware. We can get stuck in this rut in the suburbs of thinking there aren't many needs. We don't live in the herb, like in the inner city. But there are needs everywhere. So let's have eyes to see. Let's be compassionate. Let's be willing to sacrifice.